Live from the Alberta Abbey, it's Portland Story Theater's special Halloween show, Spellbound. May the narrative be with you. I was home from college on Christmas vacation. It was actually the end of break, and I was getting ready to return to school, driving back with my longtime friend and roommate, Barb the Rich Hippie. (laughs) We were driving back in her brand new yellow MG sports car. Oh, it's a gorgeous car. I love that car. I have to say, though, I did kind of wreak havoc with her hippie image, but it was a gorgeous car. It's an 850-mile trip from eastern Iowa to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we planned to do it in two days. We got up really early and got on the road right after sunrise. We had driven about six and a half miles when we noticed the first snowflakes start to fall. We really weren't concerned because we'd grown up in the Midwest, used to really harsh winters, knew how to drive in the snow, so we weren't concerned. And we weren't even concerned when a little bit later we noticed that there was sleet that was mixing with the snow. So confident were we that we had left at home our heavy winter uh, coats and our boots because we knew we wouldn't be needing them in the warmer climate of New Mexico. So we were just entertaining ourselves, having a good time, singing our extensive repertoire of popular songs, Bob Dylan and uh, the Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel, Roberta Flack, you know, all that great music that was going on back then. And we even stooped so low as to launch into this lengthy medley of songs from Campataga. Campataga was a campfire girl camp that Barb and I had gone to every summer in elementary school and and junior high school. Campataga, my heart to you, my hands to you. Campataga, my heart, my hands to you. We were having a really good time, but despite the fact that we were just enjoying ourselves, we could no longer ignore the fact the snow was coming down really thick, really heavy, really fast. The wind had picked up, and it was starting to blow the snow in drifts on the side of the road. Even a few drifts were beginning to cover parts of the highway, and we thought, crap. You know, we're in the middle of a major winter snowstorm here that could cripple the road. So singing stopped. We just became very focused. We just said, we just have to get to the next town, find a hotel, hunker down until the storm is over. Shortly after that, Barb noticed that the car began to slip a little bit, skid every now and then, and we realized this is really bad because there's ice that's collected under the snow, the worst driving conditions ever. So we were pretty tense. And uh, Barb thankfully slowed way, way down. We were probably just going maybe 10 miles an hour because we knew it was really bad. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever driven in a heavy winter storm, but if you have, you know how exhausting it can be. You're really tense, you're really focused, and uh, can think of nothing else. The wind has a tendency to blow the snow in in swirls and swirling funnels directly towards the windshield, and you feel like you're driving into a white vortex. Then there's a hypnotic movement of the windshield wipers. And then there's a tick, 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 tick of the icy snowflakes hitting the windshield. It's, it's very hypnotizing. It makes you very drowsy. And Barb was just exhausted. She'd been driving for hours. So she said, I, I just can't stay awake. So we stopped and switched places. And I began to drive. By now, it wasn't a total whiteout, but you could only see a few feet in front of the car. So I was driving 
just white knuckling it down the highway. She was in a deep sleep. She was obviously exhausted. And I was driving ever so careful. The last thing I wanted to do was to run that new run MG off the road. So, uh, but at one point, the car did begin to skid. And I did what I knew how to do. I took my foot off the accelerator, turned in the direction of the skid, but there was no traction whatsoever. It was just pure ice underneath. And to my horror, I watched as that little, lightweight, low-to-the-ground sports car skidded into the next lane, across the next lane, straight for the snow-filled ditch on the opposite side of the road. I screamed, Barb sat up, and there we were. We were stuck in the ditch. For a few seconds, we both just sat there and didn't say anything. We just watched the windshield wipers. And then we both turned to one another and simultaneously said, Oh, shit. So we took uh, stock of our situation. We realized we couldn't stay there. I mean, with the snow coming down that fast and the wind blowing as fast as it was, that little car would have been covered up probably in an hour, and nobody would have been able to find us. So we knew that we had to get out and walk, despite the fact we had no coats, no boots, no hat, no scarf, no gloves. We were both dressed the same. We had on jeans, long sleeve shirts, and moccasins. <laughs> Thankfully, we were able to push the doors open just enough to squeeze out of the car. And of course, when we stepped down, we stepped into snow up to our knees. We, were, we climbed out of the ditch, being very careful to keep our moccasins on, got up to the road and began to walk in the direction we had been traveling. By now, it was total whiteout. I mean, I could barely see this far in front of me, could barely see my hand. I was walking in front. Barb was right behind me. The wind's blowing in our direction, so I had my head down. And I just decided I'll just focus on taking one step in front of the other, in front of the other. I won't think of anything else. It was really strange. I wasn't really afraid, and I didn't even feel cold. It was, it was like walking in some strange, eerie, white, silent dream. And as uh, after a few minutes of this, but I, I did think at the time, I'm going to die here. I just, I just was convinced I was going to die. I thought, I'm just going to walk off into the white nothingness, and that'll be it. At that point, I raised my head. And although I could, couldn't see anything but white, I, I thought I saw this dark shape and a patch of red emerging in the distance in front of me. And I, I kind of wiped the snow out of my eyes, and I was looking. And I, I saw this figure emerge out of the nothingness. Tall, skinny man. He had to be seven feet tall gangly, awkward. He, had, he didn't have a coat on either. He had work boots, jeans, and a red plaid shirt. And he was coming towards me, kind of walking like this. He comes up to me. He passes me. He doesn't say anything. And then he's gone, and I turn, and he's not there. Barb runs into me, and I said, Barb, did you see that man? Did you see him? Now, Barbara's normally very mild-mannered. She didn't get angry. She never raised her voice, but she was really pissed. And I have to admit, I do have a reputation for being a practical joker. And she was like, Mary, damn it, we're in the middle of this snowstorm. What the heck? This is no time for jokes. And I thought, okay, she's a little mad at me for running her car in the ditch. <laughs> but, oh, shit, she didn't see that guy. 
She didn't, so what does that mean? I'm hallucinating, you know, hyperthermia what? I don't know, she didn't see this guy? Right then, we heard behind us the sound of a muffled, like an engine, and we turned, and sure enough, here come, we see the uh, lights of car coming out of the whiteness. So we both jumped into the roadway, jumping up and down, screaming, because I know they wouldn't see us until they were right on us. They saw us, they stopped, thank God. They opened the door. It was a, a sweet little elderly couple, really old. They had to be about 50. <laughs> <laughs> they drove us into the next town, which was only a couple miles away, Mead, Kansas. I have never been so happy to see civilization, if you want to call Mead, Kansas, civilization. It was a little nothing town. So there's an old two-story hotel on Main Street. We stopped there, found out they only had one room left, so we insisted that this couple take it, and we just said, we'll just sleep on the couches in the, in the lobby. But the clerk said, well, let me make a couple calls. And she came over to us later and said, the sheriff said that you can come and stay at his house. He's going to come and, and get you. And I said, oh, thank God, this is going to be great. Warm Midwestern hospitality. We'll have a nice meal. We'll probably have a nice, soft, warm bed. It's going to be great. But as soon as we saw Sheriff Clyde... <laughs> I knew we were not going to experience any warm hospitality. The guy was creepy, just slimy, like, like lecherous, the way he looked at us, and he was cold and surly and just, ugh, just creepy. He, so he just, all he said to us was, come on. So he, he drove us home, and his family was just about as creepy as he was. They were, he had two kids and his wife. They were, they didn't, were not happy we were there at all. It's not like they were enjoying this opportunity to save people from this storm. They were just irritated that we were there. So we sat through this really awkward, silent dinner. At one point, I said, Sheriff, when I was walking on the side of the road, I saw this really tall, tall, gangly man, and I just wondered, does he, does he live in me? Is he from around here? And the sheriff just real slowly raised his head, gave me the strangest look, and all he said was, we do not talk during dinner. Like, okay, that's so after dinner, he said, one of you can sleep in the lower bunk upstairs. Uh, the kids will sleep in the upstairs bunk. One can sleep in the lower, and one of you is going to have to sleep in the basement. Well, I felt like I had to do penance for running Barb's car in the ditch. So I said, Barb, you take the bunk bed, and I'll sleep in the basement. So the sheriff takes me down there. I find out that his house also serves as the Mead Jail. There's two cells down there. <laughs> and it was, it was, there was just one dim bulb in the ceiling. It was really dark and clammy, cold, and kind of musty smelling. And on this, in the, cell, the bunk on the cell, there's this real thin, raggedy blanket, kind of dirty, looked like it had been washed for a long time, a beat-up, thin pillow. I thought of all the drunks. All the Mead, Kansas drunks that had spent the night there drooling, snot on the pillow, <laughs> probably vomit, and God only knows what. But I thought, oh, whatever, I'll, we can do this. So um, there I was, and the sheriff turned to go, and he said, I might come down a bit later and check on you. And I was like, no need, sheriff, I'll be fine. No need. Yeah. So he climbs the stairs, turns out the light, and it's really dark in there. Just a little bit of light coming from the basement window, not much. And I thought I wouldn't go to sleep that night at all. I just thought, no way. But I was exhausted. So I did. I fell into a deep sleep. Sometime in the middle of the night, I woke up suddenly to the cell door slamming shut. I was like, oh, 
I sat up in bed. My heart's pounded. I could hardly breathe. And I was looking around. What, 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 what? I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see anyone. And then way off in the corner, I thought, I saw this figure, like a tall, thin figure in a patch of red. And I looked again. I thought, and it seemed to be gone. I thought, what the heck? So I just decided I'm going to sit in vigil all night. I'm not going to sleep. So I sat up in the bunk with a hugging my knees to myself, my back against the wall. Just I said, I'm going to just stay awake all night. This is horrible. Well, I, I didn't because I awoke the next morning to glorious sunlight shining into the basement window. Oh, what a wonderful sight. The storm's over. Thank God. I could hear people walking around upstairs. I couldn't get out because the cell was locked. So I had to call up somebody, for somebody to come get me. The sheriff comes down. He was totally pissed that, you know, the cell door was locked, and he had to let me out. But I went upstairs right away. I found Barbara. I said, Barb, let's get out of here. I said, don't stay for breakfast, no coffee. Let's just leave. She said, yeah, I'm, that sounds good to me. So we called the tow truck, um, and he came and drove us right out uh, to the car. We were able to find it easily. Just the rear, the little yellow rear end of the car was just sticking out of the ditch. The rest of it was covered. And he said, you girls are really in luck. All the roads have been plowed. Everything seemed to be clear, so you're free to go. He pulls uh, the car out. There's not a scratch on it. Uh, it was great. It started up the way. We didn't even have to charge the motor. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we, uh, we get in the car and we start down the road driving back through town. And I said, Barb, please, please, please drive so slowly. I said, do you get a speeding ticket? And we have to stay in Mead, Kansas another night? <laughs> no, that wouldn't be good. So we're driving down Main Street very slowly. We come to the edge of town and there's a sign that says, leaving Mead, Kansas, drive carefully. And leaning against that signpost is a tall, thin, gangly figure just leaning against the post with his head down. And as we pass, he raises his head, smiles, and nods. I turn to Barb and I said, Barb, did you see that guy? She said, Mary, don't start with me. 